This is Ben Max. Thanks for tuning in for the show. It's January 24th, 2024, and it's State of the City Day in New York City. We're speaking here just a little while after Mayor Eric Adams gave his third State of the City speech, advancing his agenda, and in combination with the recent release of his preliminary budget for next city fiscal year, putting together some of the big pillars of his plans for 2024 and into 2025. We are now a little over halfway into the Democratic mayor's term, and he's looking for something of a reset here in 2024, facing very low poll numbers and a number of challenges, including a federal investigation into some of his campaign fundraising. Like with many things related to this 110th mayor of New York City, much of what happens here in the year ahead will depend on whether Mayor Adams can become more of his own best ally as he seeks to accomplish things and serve the people of New York City. Today on the show, we're analyzing the mayor's 2024 State of the City speech, his policy agenda, and some of his broader political standing, as well as larger dynamics in New York politics. My guests are two especially sharp thinkers about politics and policy. Dr. Christina Greer and Harry Siegel are with me today. Among other things, they are co-hosts of the excellent FAQ NYC podcast, which offers a smart weekly conversation about the latest in New York City politics. So it's a New York politics podcast crossover episode here, and Christina Greer and Harry Siegel will join me shortly. Here on Max Politics, we are coming to you from New York Law School, where I'm executive editor and program director at the Center for New York City Law. We're off and running here in 2024 with some exciting in-person events on the calendar and much more to come. So check us out at the Center for New York City Law at New York Law School. If you've missed any recent episodes of the show, I've had some great recent conversations, including most recently with New York State Assembly member Alex Boris. He's a first-term Manhattan Democrat taking on some really interesting issues and with a really interesting background himself. He's one of the youngest members of the state legislature. He's a computer scientist. And he's taking on issues including artificial intelligence policy, as well as judicial reform. So check that conversation out when you have a chance. Also recently had a really good talk with State Senator Zellner Myrie, a Brooklyn Democrat, about a whole number of issues and what's going to happen in Albany this session that just begun. Those are just two of a number of good recent episodes. Check them all out in the Max Politics feed after you listen to this one. And of course, you can also check out the FAQ NYC podcast of my guests uh, when you have time after you listen to this one. Since we are talking state of the city here, I'll also mention I had a really good recent conversation about Governor Kathy Hochul's state of the state address and agenda with a couple of Albany and state government experts on that show. But here today, we are talking about the state of the city and Mayor Eric Adams with his recently released $109 billion budget plan for next city fiscal year, which begins in July, now giving his 2024 State of the City speech on Wednesday at Hostos Community College in the Bronx. The mayor put a heavy focus on framing the city in positive terms, which is not always a given for him, and talked about jobs being up, crime being down, tourists being back, and other good indicators. He also talked about some key plans in the works to build more housing and take on other challenges facing the city. 
The mayor talked about next steps on housing, as well as public spaces, education, economic opportunity, and of course, more on public safety, his signature issue as a former police captain who ran for mayor during a significant increase in crime. He talked about a number of so-called quality of life issues, including plans to expand trash containerization and to crack down on illegal smoke shops. But for the latter, he needs more help from Albany to do so. He made a bunch of announcements during the speech. Let me give you just a few examples of some of the new initiatives that he announced during his 2024 State of the City. They include that the administration is in discussions with the city council to create a new city department of sustainable delivery to deal with the proliferation of deliveries that New Yorkers get and deal with new rules and regulations around how they get to New Yorkers, including e-mobility like e-bikes and mopeds. He also announced that this year the NYPD will overhaul its internal discipline process to shorten the time it takes to resolve internal cases. This is the first real move from Adams on anything related to police accountability, though we have very limited details at this point. He announced that the city health commissioner has issued a commissioner's advisory identifying social media as a public health hazard. So that was a particularly interesting announcement and that comes with actually a whole bunch of details from the health commissioner in that new advisory that people can find online and read. He announced that the city with partners will invest $100 million to create a new climate innovation hub at the Brooklyn Army Terminal, part of a broader landscape of economic development projects tied to sites near the water. This one will focus on uh, being a home for clean tech innovation and manufacturing. That's just a smattering of some of the announcements he made. It's not a complete list at all. Many of them exciting announcements that are the stuff that often makes up a state of the city speech. Uh, But of course, implementation will be the big question on things that are already ongoing and the new announcements we've heard from prior mayors. And this one, things in state of the city speeches that didn't necessarily come to fruition. So we will see about the follow through here. The mayor did not spend a lot of time on the migrant crisis in his speech. Obviously, the main unexpected challenge of Adams's term thus far, nor did he talk much about recent city budget upheaval, where he has recently reversed a few of the mostly unnecessary direct service cuts that he made in November. He's come back and uh, restored some of those recently, and there's a lot of questions about uh, the budget management at City Hall, but he didn't talk a lot about that. He took a very collaborative tone with others in government, including the City Council, something of a shift uh, from recent weeks when he's been trying to start an effort to undercut a likely override of his recent vetoes of two bills that deal with policing and the jails. The mayor's budget and policy plans, of course, also seek some real help from Albany and from Washington, D.C., as New York City is always in need of assistance from the two other levels of government. Adams made repeated mentions of things that he wants some help with from the state and the federal government, including to allow recently arrived migrants to work from Albany. He's especially looking to advance housing policy priorities and an extension of mayoral control of the city school system, which is set to expire in June. Before we move into the mayor's speech and his agenda, and I bring my guests on, just quickly, I mentioned you know some of the other key context here to the mayor's 2024 State of the City speech include 
this ongoing uh, battle with the city council and public advocate Jamani Williams, who uh, was a lead sponsor of these bills that the mayor just vetoed. I mentioned the mayor is facing some very low approval ratings in public polls. He's facing this federal investigation into his campaign fundraising. We don't know where that's going. Uh, He's had a lot of challenges dealing with the Biden administration around the migrant crisis. So there's a lot of things that have sort of been dogging the mayor. And he was really able to sort of put a lot of that aside, at least for this speech, and present, as I said, a sort of more positive uh, outlook here that um, was interesting to hear from him. The political landscape, of course, also includes that we're now into 2024 and these really key elections that will happen this year for Congress and the presidency, and then the looming 2025 New York City elections where Mayor Adams is planning to seek a second term. Much more of that here on the show today. Let's bring on my guests, Harry Siegel and Dr. Christina Greer, our co-hosts of the podcast FAQ NYC, a great weekly conversation about New York politics that you should listen to. And I've had the pleasure of joining on a long streak now of election nights going back quite a few years. And I always enjoy talking with them. The show uh, published by the news publication The City also features co-host Katie Honan, who is reporting on the mayor's speech today for the publication The City. Harry Siegel is also a senior editor at The City, and he's a columnist for the New York Daily News. Christina Greer is also a political science professor at Fordham University, and this year, one of the inaugural Moynihan Fellows at the City College of New York. And among still other things, she also writes a regular column for the Amsterdam News. All right, Christina, Harry, thank you for joining me. How are you? Great. Feeling good about New York after that speech. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty uh, hopeful, optimistic, positive speech. So we'll get into a whole bunch of stuff, but each of you give us us one big takeaway here, uh, Christina. What what was one, one thing that is either sticking out to you here, we're less than an hour from when the mayor stopped speaking, but what's thing something that's still ringing in your head or a big takeaway you had from this uh, State of the City 2024? Yeah, I'm still processing, but, you know, I, I like the pageantry. I do like when everyone comes together. I do like when, you know, we have the State of the Union, State of the State, State of the City, where the executive reports out to uh, the voters uh, and the citizens of New York just to sort of give us a lay of the land, but also give us a rough idea of what some budgetary and policy proposals are going to look like. I know there were a lot of shout outs, but what I was really concerned about was the tone of the mayor. And I didn't know if he was going to come out guns blazing and swinging. And the fact that he was in doing the charm offensive actually makes me feel better about moving forward. I know that he and Adrian Adams have had a rough few weeks, but the fact that he was tying their relationship to not just their background in Queens, but to their mothers and essentially the nod of, we know we've come a long way, we've got a long way to go, and we're actually gonna go that place together. That actually makes me feel really good because I do think that this mayor is very good at politics. Um, You know, we've had some ups and downs, obviously the last two years, but, I was really concerned about a defiant digging in the heels. You know, it's me against the world, me against New York, me against every elected official. You know, just I'll go it alone, kind of a Trumpian uh, feel. And because it wasn't that, I'm actually excited and eager. I mean, he said Jumani Williams' name. Uh, He's, you know, he talked a lot about 
the different folks who were in the room. Um, and if he can sort of humble himself just a touch, which it felt like he did a little bit today, and I know that that's difficult for this particular mayor, um, I think we could go in a direction in these next few months that actually puts New Yorkers first, because we saw eight years of de Blasio Cuomo beef, we just lost out constantly as New Yorkers, especially during COVID. And yeah, I'm I'm feeling optimistic actually after the state of the city. Now, right. to be fair, I did have a slight glass of wine because I was a little worried. <laughs> so who knows? Ca- calm the nerves. Yes. Harry, what's what's sticking out with you? So a lot of what Chrissy said, like there was a really broad healing tone to this and a reminder of like the charm and warmth, the genuineness and New Yorkness that uh, Eric Adams can bring to the table. With Adrian Adams, he said twice, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) You know, of course, this is like a day after, you know, he had an aide come and try to take the chairs from a city council press conference. Like things have gotten a little absurd. It was very good to see him in a open and warm direction. I have my significant doubts given yesterday and all the yesterdays before that about tomorrow and all the tomorrows to come. And with with the speech, which is very getting stuff done and, you know, moving baselines around to be like, look at my incredible progress, like how much this is actually going to mean going forward. And whether there is going to be this shift in tone, this sense of a common common cause and struggle to like make things good and work for New Yorkers. But taking the speech just by itself, I thought it was uh, really appealing and like a hopeful sense of what an Adams administration could be. But but frankly, it has not been uh, for most of his first two years. Harry, can I just add something really quickly? Because the sort of I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Reminds me of a certain disgraced singer who we don't need to mention, but he had a very famous song that says, when a woman's fed up, there's nothing you can do about it. And I don't think that Eric Adams wants Adrian Adams to get to that point because then New Yorkers lose. So I think he's keenly aware of that. And he said, by the way, that he was quoting his mother to to him, which, you know, again, was an interesting connection. I will say for all of the amount of sort of rivalry that Eric Adams has embraced with certain people and the ways that he probably has stepped on more toes or broken more uh, alliances than he probably should have. He has been pretty disciplined in terms of the relationships with the most important people, Kathy Hochul, Hochul. Adrian Adams, and the the state legislative leaders. Now, he's annoyed all of them at different points, but he's been pretty careful with all four in terms of we've never heard him say anything about any of the four like he said about Jamani Williams or Brad Lander or other people, even some city council members. Right um, now, he hasn't handled the Joe Biden relationship particularly well. So that's a different that's another one that does matter. But on on those four others I mentioned, you know, I think he's realized he needs to be pretty careful with all four of them because they in in some ways they have more power than him right and and so he's you know been somewhat disciplined on that that front much of the speech was him asking them for different and specific things uh most notably four years of, of mayoral control and he said look if you can give it to guys from boston schools mm-hmm. can you give it to two guys who went to new york <laughs> public schools i i, I right. thought that was the, the best way not that it will matter to make that ask as uh, you have legislators uh, starting with john lou 
who are just not eager to give him that and want to weaken Merrill control as, as rapidly as they can. And he's hostage there as a, you know, they do this hostage game where it's like, we're giving you something, but then you have to come back here next year and ask for it again. Right. Always with the tin can. But I think that that goes with like the larger theme of him shouting out lots of folks. He shouted out his commissioner banks, his school chancellor banks quite a bit, um, especially, you know, Ben, we've talked offline about the importance of phonics. I'm a huge supporter of phonics. Um, and, you know, during the State of the City, State of the Union, they always have people in the audience to sort of mm -hmm. serve as a physical example of the policy that they're they're showing. And so having a young student in the audience with their parents and a teacher who is going to help with, you know, sort of reading and like the educational piece, I thought hit home uh, what he was trying to say. I also, though, you know, because there is this racial element of the second black mayor, I thought framing it as two guys from New York versus two guys from Boston, as opposed to you gave it to these two white dudes, you're not going to give it to mm -hmm. these two brothers. Like, I think that that was a smarter way to frame it as a, a Boston versus New York conversation instead of bringing explicit race into it. But I also, you know, think just the ending, not to jump too, too far ahead, but, you know, like it's separated by those who live in, wait, is it two types of Americans, those who live in New York and those who wish they could? I mean, this kind of theme of like, if we are New Yorkers, we're New Yorkers together, 10 toes in. I just thought it was very interesting that migrants were sort of the, the kind of silent conversation that we did and did not have throughout this entire state of the city. In terms of the thing you both said leading off, sort of it was a very positive, optimistic, hopeful message. He got into a lot of – you know, he didn't dwell on many of them, but he got into a lot of specifics about things that are either underway or he's going to do next. And we can touch on some of those that stuck out to us. But you know, generally speaking, it was this sort of positive, forward-looking thing. And so it made a lot of sense for the message he was seemingly trying to portray that he didn't bog himself down in discussing the details of the migrant crisis, although talking about it so little was a little bit glaring. But a, but again, that's, you know, people have to sort of be thinking about the omission there or the or the lack of a fuller discussion about what the administration is doing. Um, but that's that's clearly, you know, a strategy to come out of this with lots of sort of good news and good press and and, you know, ideas for the future. But it did seem like such a brief mention of the crisis sort of that this administration is dealing with was a little limited. I don't know. But I don't know. You know, personally, if you're talking about the state of the city and you've been you've been saying things about how this crisis is at least in part crippling what the city can be doing and it's it's, you know, blowing such a big hole in the budget, which, again, was not as big as the mayor had let on. Um, you know, you would think you'd talk a little bit about sort of managing the next phase of it as part of the state of the city. Definite course correction stuff where he's gone hard in this. They're going to or the migrant crisis, not the migrants, whatever mm -hmm. distinction that's supposed to be. But he's like, they're going to destroy the city. Real dark tone stuff about that and other issues. And I think he's realized that like that level of pessimism would serve him well as a candidate. On a certain level, like, like New York is great. I'm triumphalist, but also, you know, crime, crime is terrible and think things feel not good and I can fix it. Right. It has not served him well as mayor. And that really is where I'm hopeful he can make some some course direction that he's going to have really big problems. And his job is to, to sort of chart a brighter set of outcomes, an optimistic future, how New York can remain, become an even better place, greater place than it's been, uh, rather than that sort of apocalyptic rhetoric, which I don't think has gotten him 
anything other than a 28% approval rating last, last we checked. Right. Well, I think this is the great thing about a state of the city. It's also a time to course correct, right? We're at the beginning of the year. Um, we know that the press is going to have certain takeaways. If you spend, you know, 45 minutes just talking about migrants, 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 the way you have been, Mayor Adams, then that's the takeaway. This was the time to remind New Yorkers that they actually have been balancing other things other than the migrant crisis. I mean, he talked about homelessness or he talked about the unhoused. He calls it homelessness. I call it the unhoused. He talked about housing, right? And NYCHA and vouchers and debt relief and medical debt relief and lots of time on education, mental health, social media, LGBTQ plus. I mean, there were a whole host of issues that he ran through um, that they're working on. And so I do think, though, it'll be interesting moving forward, though, Harry, to your point, where when he was talking about housing, he says, you know, yes, in my backyard, yes, in in my neighborhood, yes, on my block, yes, in my city, essentially, as they're expanding housing. Will that phrase essentially come back to haunt him and his administration when we also extend that to migrants? He did not get into that and the, the sort of in the weeds, because I think he's hoping that, you know, the speech will give him at least a little bit of a runway to talk about other things that the administration has been working on. And maybe to show that, you know, a large part of, you know, our FAQ conversation, Ben, which you've been a part of some of the time is like, are they organized? Does he have the people in position to do the job that we need him to do? And he was essentially saying, we are organized. Like, look at all the things that we've been doing. I have people in place. Like you guys are essentially, and without being defiant, but it's like, don't worry. Like we got it. Like I'm, I'm in charge and the ship is running in the right direction. And I'm curious to see if the press and, and people who watch the speech will, will agree. Let me say this. I think there's a lot of stuff that the mayor talked about that is really important related to what a lot of people put in the bucket of quality of life, right? Which is, I don't love that phrase, but I haven't come up with a better one, so I'll go with it. Um, The stuff around trash containerization, I personally think is a huge winner, and I think it's great that he has pushed it ahead and he's pushing further. Um, I cheered out loud. That was the one moment he said, no more trash bags on the street anywhere. Yes, yes. a number of other things. The fact that he wants to get a hold and and you know wrap the city's arms around all of the electronic micro mobility stuff going on with the e bikes and the mopeds and all that stuff. Again, with a number of these things, you could say it's a little late, but hey, that's good that he's trying to wrap his arms around it. You got to do it in the right way. But it kept sticking out to me as he's talking about education, he's talking about quality of life, et cetera. You know, this is a guy who just un- unnecessarily made sure that the libraries are closed on Sundays, right? This is someone who knows that he really needs to speed up the city's buses, but, you know, keeps sort of fumbling some of these specific projects on the buses, you know, for various sort of political and local reasons. So, so I kept, you know, I kept jumping to some of these things where, wow, like a lot of this message really seems right, but to execute this stuff, he's going to have to, you know, as you said, Christina, like they're going to have to be focused and they're going to have to implement and they're going to have to do it, do it the way he says they're going to do it. And then sort of jumping to some of these other caveats where it's like, all right, but, you know, you got you, you got to sort of battle some of this track record and maybe course correct on a couple of areas that are central to quality of life for so many people. Um, so that's a little bit about where my mind was jumping. Now, here's a question, though. You know, is this a case of the mayor kicking us into austerity mode 
so that as we get closer to June of 2025, if he does have a challenger or several, this is, you know, most people aren't paying attention. We're paying attention. We're up in arms. And yes, there are lots of parents and families who care about libraries and trash and all the things, but there are many people who aren't. And so is this one of those things where in a year plus, when we're getting closer to a primary, he's like, hey, listen, we've got seven days of the week on the libraries. We've yeah. got more trash containers than we, we just we put out 10,000 new trash cans. <laughs> you know, is this one of those things where you sort of take away, get us used to? I mean, this is what's been happening in this country and around the globe consistently. You take things away. We get used to things being taken away. And then you give us back the thing that we used to have. And we're like, oh my goodness, thank you so much for this, your largesse. I'm so appreciative. But I mean, if he doesn't know where the money's coming from just yet, from Joe Biden and or Kathy Hochul, is it financially sound to sort of scale back? And then if he can, put it back into the city. And coincidentally, it'll just happen to coincide with his reelection chances. Right. That's we, I mean, we just saw a, a minor version of that with him restoring some of his own cuts, you know, less than two months after making it. But in the bigger picture, uh, you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, maybe I'm not pes- maybe chance. I'm not pessimistic enough, <laughs> cynical enough. I don't think he's doing that. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, the, you know, I, I, the oh, minor crisis. You, you try to time these out. Like if you have to make tough decisions, you make them. You, you want to have a first year where you're getting as much through as you can, and then a second and third year where if you have to do more sacrifices, you do them then so that by the time you're running for re-election, you, you, you can put your shoulder to the wheel, you can give more and get back. And like, I've just been around enough advisors who sort of run through this just as like cynical politics. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's part of his math. There are years where, 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 where you have more flexibility to do so and more time to earn your political credit back. And if you think some of these are responsible choices, which I think he does, but like we have it difficult to sustain level of spending. There's new things coming in. It's like, let me, let me, let me issue the pan now. I think he's done a, a bad and clumsy job of it. Uh, but I, I, I understand that instinct and uh, the timing that goes with it. And then ideally you want to run saying we have turned things around. I can point to these success indicators and because of my responsibility, right, which is what was in all of his releases when he was doing that one man budget dance. Now we can have these things back. I mean, I feel like we see it on the national level. I feel like we see it on the state level. You know, I'm just thinking back to like when I was 14 and a babysitter, like you come in, you give a small piece of candy. Then at some point in time, it's time to eat these vegetables and like get ready for bed, which no one wants to do. And then right before bed, we can have a little snack. You know, so it's just like this is this is the management. Now, Ben, to your point, is this something that the mayor has thought out or is just coincidentally this is kind of the way cycles move and they're sort of clumsily, as, as Harry said, kind of making their way to the finish line, which is essentially a June primary. But I think that the way this particular state of the city was structured, if he and his team can sort of keep certain things afloat and and articulate to New Yorkers that they are working on other things other than criticizing migrants then I think that we we might be seeing like a shift in the winds that we we just had not uh, experienced in the last few months. You know, I, I think I think a key theme here that that all of us seem to share is it was nice to hear the mayor talking the way he talked. Uh, you know, there's reason for some cautious optimism that maybe there's a shift in in overall tone and focus for him here, but also 
that's a very sort of cautious optimism because this isn't, as you said, as you both said early on, this isn't really how we've seen him in most of the less formal interactions and appearances. And he is more of a brawler and a fighter. And, and, you know, he seemed to, to his own detriment, embrace some of the rivalry and embrace some of the contentiousness. And so we'll, we'll see where it goes, but he also is someone who can put his eye on the prize, which for him is, you know, already reelection via 2025, but will become more and more that as the calendar approaches, of course. And so, you know, I think he is able to be more strategic, um, you know, than he has been, but whether he'll, he'll sort of get out of his own way a little bit more is, is to be seen. Um, just on the, on the substance of the speech, was there any proposal that stuck out to either of you? I thought, um, I thought creating a new department around deliveries and the e-micro mobility, I thought, as I said, taking on that issue is important. I do not understand the need for a new department in city government. This should be under the Department of Transportation, as far as I'm concerned, and that's where it should live and make it a focus there. That, the, but I do that did stick out to me as an area of focus that the city desperately needs. Um, the other thing, because housing, I think, is so so important, and I've spent so much time on that, and so many guests on the show on that. You know, I thought the idea of identifying these city sites, um, 24 and 24 program that he announced where the city housing department working with other partners will advance 24 sites that will be home to, they hope, more than 12,000 units of new housing. I thought that was a pretty interesting and exciting announcement uh, among others. Anything stand out to to either of you? Yeah, I, I'm, inter- I'm interested in learning a little bit more about the 24 and 24 um, you know, I felt like, you know, this wasn't the speech to sort of really get into the weeds, but I do want to know a lot more about that. The whole section on housing to me was really important. You know, like mm-hmm. let us build, which, you know, is could set him up for some fights with some of the folks who believe in in um, like the preservationist community, which, mm-hmm. you know, there there's sort of two debates there that I mean, we care about preserving certain buildings. But also we need more housing. I do think that, though, there were three things that I'm interested to see this administration follow up on when it comes under the umbrella of housing. The NYCHA voucher wait list, um, since we're, we're talking about NYCHA housing, but also like the repairs of NYCHA are federal, but we still need more people in NYCHA. So I want to know about that. The deed theft, and he shouted out uh, A.G. Mm-hmm. Tish James, that to me is really important just because we know that so many African-Americans are disproportionately affected by deed theft and the elderly are disproportionately affected by deed theft. And I think that might be one of those I call it like the Bloombergian long term policy issues that we don't really see it as like, OK, sure, deed theft now. But like 10, 15 years down the line, we'll realize that actually saved so many families. And also we know that there's that gap in generational wealth between African-Americans and and white families in New York and across the country. And then this other conversation about debt relief. We saw a quick story earlier in the week about debt relief, but we also know that that disproportionately affects people of color who essentially, you know, one bad illness and we know health outcomes and all the, all the sort of racialized factors that go into, you know, people using emergency rooms as opposed to doctors, et cetera, et cetera. And so how uh, relieving that debt for families can actually help them get on solid ground um, or at least get themselves above water so they can 
survive and let alone thrive. I think that's also one of those policies where we might not see the effects in the next, say, year or two, but will be one of those long term kind of Adams administration policies that actually has longstanding effects in the city of New York. Mm-hmm. This right. new department of sustainable delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, as Ben, you were just saying, makes no sense for that to be its own department. And this all seems a little goofy on some levels. Gotham has put up a story about this literally the minute Adams brought it up in this speech. So obviously it was sort of given to them beforehand and embargoed to that point. And it ends, so far the proposal for the agency is mostly conceptual. The mayor's office will create a task force to study what this department could do and how it should function but she says she expects to have legislation in to actually uh, establish it this fall. So that that's, you know, a task force to study how we're going to do a thing in the future is whatever, it's sort of goofy. That said, a step back to work out how to deal with this as this massive increase in deliveries and how people function, how the streets function, how packages show up at your house from trucks to mopeds. Mm-hmm. This is this huge shift where, where, Technology and logistics have overwhelmed city control, obviously. It has a lot to do with why drivers and pedestrians feel like unsafe at times about crossing streets and how all of this works. Um, This relates to the e-bike fires we've had in big ways, which brings us back to the migrants. There's a tons of of different wires crossing there. And having the mayor not say anything, but say we're going to be saying things in effect about this and we're going to step back and try to find some big way to do it. Again, I'm very cautiously optimistic because this is worth thinking through and getting right while there's still time. And uh, it's late in the game for that. But, but, but you know, better now than never. So we'll see where that goes. I also wanted to mention, um, I think there were a couple, I mean, there were a lot of things, but a couple other things, and I want to get your thoughts on both of these. The announcement that the health commissioner had issued an admission, uh, commissioner's advisory um, identifying unfettered access to and use of social media as a public health hazard, um, you know, I thought was was kind of interesting talking about youth and education and mental health and, and obviously a lot of coinciding pieces there. I was briefly skimming through that advisory from the health commissioner. It's actually longer than I thought it would be. And it, it, it's pretty interesting about what it's encouraging adults to do related to social media use uh, by youth. Um, I thought that was interesting. I don't know that I don't know how much of an impact that's really going to have, but it's maybe in some ways worth, you know, taking a shot at trying to, um, you know, raise more awareness around this. And there are obviously a lot of adults who work for the city who might now have new guidance around those issues. And that's maybe more of where the mayor can control this. Um, and then the other piece was and and this was, you know, one line. But the mayor's promised that this year the NYPD is going to overhaul its internal discipline process to have the time it takes to resolve internal cases. Now, this is a mayor who ran on being a police reformer and a tough on crime uh, former police captain. He's done nothing as mayor so far on police accountability. And so this was fascinating to hear him finally 
promise something on this, which, you know, I, I've just sort of been waiting for him to deal with that other side of the coin that he said he was going to do both, you know, and he could do both. And he was the one guy who could do both. So those are two other things that stuck out at me. If you want to comment on either or both, please do. Yeah, I mean, with the with social media and sort of the tech world, I know that that's a, a pet issue for for quite a few people. Um, who might have the mayor's ear. But I also think that this is a conversation where, you know, being cautiously optimistic, this is where New York City could actually be a leader. Um, We know that young people dying by suicide has increased. Um, COVID has been incredible, you know, as an educator, COVID has been definitely difficult for students socially. Um, Social media has, in high school and now middle school, and for, in some cases, elementary school, It's just having really detrimental effects. And I think we don't have enough data about kind of sort of the longstanding effects uh, for, you know, girls, for boys, for kids of color, all the bullying that goes on, et cetera. So I think this could be, if done well, um, uh, an instance where New York leads other cities um, and takes it very seriously and sort of sets a precedent about something. And I don't know what direction you can go in. I don't know how parents are involved in this, how we come up with these controls. But, you know, as my grandmother says, hey, if we can put a man on the moon, we can figure this out. So like we can figure out how to still let kids explore and be curious about the internet and what's out there while also trying to put some guardrails on for still developing minds and behaviors. The only way to put guardrails on Mr. Don't let it happen, Mayor, is the right lawsuit that forces these companies to deal with minors more seriously. And that's something I know the Attorney General's office has looked at. If the city's corporation council, like its attorneys, is trying to find a way in there, that's awesome. If this is all just discourse and talking to parents or whatever, I'm a parent, like, believe me, I know this stuff is not great. It's very hard and complicated to control. Um, This is very obviously just not an individual issue. It's a question of these gigantic tech companies and the freedom they've had to push their services directly, their very addictive, socially complicated services directly at children. So I'm very interested to see where, if anywhere, that goes. As to the uh, police accountability thing, Ben, it's a trick. He's not doing something here, you know, Mr. Both Sides, to make the police more accountable. He's telling the unions we're going to keep people in limbo for uh, less time. And as we've already seen, this administration is considerably less likely to abide by the recommendations of its own judges and the Civilian Complaint Review Board about what punishment should be or if there should be punishment at all. So speeding that process up without talking about improving it in any other way, I assume is just a a way of of talking directly to police officers, and he's a former one, and this is a group of support he needs, and offering them something while dressing it up in very vaguely the language of reform. Um, And what was your second question, Ben? Oh, no, it was just about those two, the the two announcements of the police, you know, speeding up police disciplinary and then the social media stuff just as two other things that stuck out at me. Let me just come back to housing for a second, because I think it's worth underscoring that this is the year like this is the housing year. 
the state legislature and the governor need to figure out some significant policy package that they can all agree on. The mayor's city of yes for housing opportunity, significant zoning resolution overhaul is, as he mentioned during the speech, is going to come before the city council by the end of the year, probably in the fall. So that's really starting its public review now with the community boards and the borough presidents and all of that. So so those two, just those two things, not to mention a variety of other things that the governor and the mayor are working on. This is sort of the year that either the housing situation is going to get a real jump start and a real movement on the city's uh, significant supply deficit and other things related to housing, which could include more tenant protections. It could include more housing vouchers. It could, could include a whole lot of things. But this is, you know, what what winds up coming through the city council Something will probably pass the city council in the fall on the zoning resolution, uh, as the mayor says, to build a little more housing everywhere in the city. But it's a significant rewriting of the city zoning and, you know, what what that actually looks like in the end of the day that passes the city council will be important. And what the state actually does this year is immensely important, including what this what the mayor is asking for. So, you know, the mayor talked a lot about housing. I think that's that was perfect that he did that. But this is really you know, we're going to know a lot by this by this fall about where the state and the city are helping, you know, New York City go on housing. Um, and it's going to, you know, a lot of a lot of things are going to be decided here in these next nine months. So I think that's really important to to underscore again. Um, the politics of it that you referenced earlier a little bit, Christina, I think is really interesting, too. I don't think the mayor's too worried about sort of, you know, the preservationists but who, who can be a potent political force. Um but the question is sort of the city council politics around this, some of the borough presidents, they don't get a decisive say, but they have an influence over it. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see how people embrace some of these proposals or water them down or things like that. You know, the, the mayor is looking to eliminate parking minimums, right? That doesn't mean eliminate parking with new development, but eliminate parking minimums as a requirement in some places. You know, that's that's already gotten a lot of scoffing from, you know, some city council members. So a lot of interesting things are going to going to happen on that front. Since we only have a few more minutes together, broader political landscape here. The mayor is now into his third year. He's less than a year and a half from that June 2025 primary. We see former controller Scott Stringer being the first one to really take a formal step into this Democratic primary of 2025, opening up an exploratory committee, starting to raise some money. He may or may not wind up running. Um, but other people are, of course, circling. Um, what's the what's the sort of political landscape of the city right now in terms of the mayor standing? He's got these really low approval numbers and and where we're going here in 2024 before things really heat up when the calendar turns to 25, because so much attention is going to be on the presidential election, the House races, all of that here in 24. But a lot of what happens in 24 will wind up impacting that city election in 25. So, Harry, where, where are we at right now? What are we looking at in 24 around the mayor standing, potential challengers? What do you make of Scott Stringer's, you know, sort of more early move here to get himself back in the conversation? Where are we at in the political landscape on the sort of electoral politics side of things here? 20 early, we think. There's also, you know, an FBI investigation that could shake things up considerably. Uh, you know, this presidential election, a lot of the issues we're looking at could have a very different set of resonances, for instance, around getting migrants, NYC IDs. 
uh, depending on what happens this November. Um, past that, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to Kina uh, here because she is a a political scientist, whereas I am a, a political squinter. And people are asking me, "How's Adams doing? What do you think?" And I'm like, "All all I can figure is that it's early. If you must have low numbers, this is the time to have them." that the baseline approval for, for sitting executives is definitely lower than it was as part of like an overall decline in competence in our leaders and institutions in the moment we're at. Um, and, and so I, I think narratively, Adams is probably a little undervalued, you know, as people are, are, are betting on the next set of events and how things have played out previously. But uh, I want to hear what Christina has to say. I'm really fascinated to, to hear that and to see this play out because it's new and uh, and a little confusing, and we have not had you know a first term mayor face a primary challenge like this since I was a baby. <laughs> Democratic well, mayor, right? Here's the, the the key word that you mentioned, Ben, and it's money, right? And so you know if Scott Stringer is shaking his tin can and no one's really interested, that says a lot. So either Mayor Adams stays the course and and other challengers realize, okay, so the donor base is just, they're going to stick with Eric Adams, or that might inspire other people to tune in. I don't know if the, the seven people who were cheering from 32BJ and, and the unions in the in the audience today were any indication of his union support. But I think that also has to be a calculus as to, you know, will unions um, not just endorse, but will they really, you know, unions are great for the manpower, literally, of making sure people are mobilized to vote. Um, I don't know if there is you know, an inkling of, of the donor class and they might be unhappy, but are they unhappy enough to make a shift? And this is where Harry and I debate all the time on FAQ, which is, you know, 20% is obviously not a, an approval rating that anyone's clamoring to have. However, who's this 20%? Are they the voting 28%? Are they the the primary voting part 28%? You know, there are lots of people who cannot stand Eric Adams, but they've never voted. So he's not concerned about them and, you know, they can have their opinions, but do they really factor in in a ranked choice voting situation? So I don't know if the approval ratings are really indicative of our primary voters uh, and the people who are Eric Adams supporters who are traditionally not asked their opinions about politics and policy. So I think time will tell. I do think that we're going to get distracted by the national election, which is incredibly important. And then we sort of have that kind of New Year's scramble where the next six months, you know, the six months starting January 1st, 2025, we'll, you know, we'll try and focus on New York City. But depending on the presidential election, that might be a distraction. I mean, we saw what happened in January 6th. So, like, there could be other things that distract other other folks um, from paying attention. And then the last piece that Harry mentioned, which is, you know, some would say a footnote. Others would say an asterisk. I would say it's a bold asterisk with a, a massive footnote on the bottom, which is anytime you have a federal probe, that is something that is hanging in the distance that, the federal government does not announce uh, their moves. They don't announce what they're working on. You just find out one day when they come to your house. So um, that is something where the mayor can't really plan for it. I think that's why certain challengers might jump in because Fortune might say, you know, the mayor might not be able to continue his term. You know, there are lots of people who said, I will only run if the mayor is not running. 
but that doesn't mean that they're not putting their ducks in a row. So if that mm-hmm. case happens anytime in 2024 or even 2025, they're in position because I don't think any ambitious Politico in New York wants the mayoralty to go to Scott Stringer by default because he's the only one left standing. I mean, listen, you know, you know, in the right, you've got Scott Stringer starting to raise his money. He's a little bit of a different case. It'll be very interesting to see if someone like an Andrew Cuomo starts raising money for this possibility where he said, you know, he would only run if if Adams wasn't running. But then, you know, and you have this other group of people, which are the sitting elected officials who, you know, Comptroller Brad Lander, the borough presidents, they're all raising money for their reelection anyway. So they're going to, you know, as long as they're doing a good job of that, they're going to be ready to jump into a mayoral race if they either decide to because Adams is so weakened or because, you know, in the very unlikely event, he's not running. But if Adams is even more weakened by some sort of indictments in his inner circle or or of himself and he continues to run, um, you know, those types of individuals will be ready, ready to potentially jump in. But for borough presidents, controller, public advocate, having to give up running for their own reelection, which is a huge um, risk. Um, in closing, we'll have plenty, plenty more time to discuss uh, 2025 down the line. But to sort of connect, you know, the speech and the agenda and the politics, this question keeps hanging over Eric Adams about whether he has sort of a signature issue. And I wanted to get your takes on this because he seems to. It, he seems to have signature issues. I shouldn't say it that way, but not necessarily sort of a signature proposal and like big sort of idea. Mayor Bloomberg got control of the city schools. De Blasio did pre-K, um, you know, sort of a, a big ambitious sort of idea proposal. That's like his signature initiative and accomplishment that he's passing. Um, obviously, public safety is his number one issue. Obviously, he's taking on housing in some significant ways. And I would probably say, you know, that's sort of the thing for him with some of the proposals he's put out. A, do you think he has this in any way, shape or form? And B, does it matter? Closing thoughts. I think it matters because people are accustomed to it, but I don't think that it necessarily matters if he's able to kind of work on these policy proposals simultaneously. Like if we remember back in the day when he was campaigning, what made him attractive to a lot of people was his argument that all of these issues are interconnected. So education and housing and public safety and public health and rats and trash cans, like all of these things link up together to make it a city that is viable and thriving. And so that was sort of part of his pitch to become mayor. And I feel like this state of the city actually kind of laid out like I'm I'm sort of throwing pebbles in each of these jars. I'm not just working on this one thing because working on one thing and ignoring the others or, or at least not not giving them their, their due diligence doesn't really help that other thing say, sustain itself. Right. Universal pre-K and 3K are fantastic if kids have a home to, mm-hmm. to go to school from, you know, or go to school, too. So. I think this is, you know, I don't want to give the cop out of like time will tell, but we've had the sort of scramble two years. Let's see what this third year looks like, because last year was a lot of like eating vegetables and no one explaining why we're eating and what we're eating. This could be the year where people are sort of settling in. Commissioners are sort of settling in with their roles and their jobs. I hope that this tone that he set changes his relationship ever so slightly with the council, Adrian Adams in particular, I was really, really, really been concerned with tone today. And 
how, because I'm very sensitive to tone, <laughs> um, how his tone would set the remainder of the year and his mm-hmm. relationships with the people he, he needs to work with. And so the tone to me says we're ready to work and we're ready to work together on these myriad of issues. Before you jump in, Harry, let me let me just add to that. You know, I don't think there's a, a real issue, although it, it can help your your sort of public image and your political standing to have a signature idea and, and issue. And as, as long as you accomplish it. But if you're going to be the meat and potatoes mayor and the sort of safety jobs and quality of life mayor, I think I think that's perfect, spot on. I think he hit a lot of the right notes in the campaign, but then you got to do that and run the government in a way to accomplishment. And I think that's where he's had a lot of challenges getting in his own way, where it's like, for example, the personnel policies in city government, this is sort of a boring topic that not a lot of people want to talk about, but there's tens of thousands of vacancies in city government. You don't have to fill all those jobs, but you got to figure out a way to sort of keep more people on the payroll who are leaving for the private sector because they get to work from home a couple of days a week. You know, those types of things that he hasn't done. So I think there's, you know, there, that's been sort of the undercutting that thing where I don't think you need that many splashy, exciting ideas, but then you got to really run the government. Harry, take us home. There are no new ideas. And the idea you need a signature proposal is an accident because de Blasio wanted to be like, we can tax the rich one. That was his main thing. And it happened to be around UPK. And then as it happened, his people did a very good job of rolling that out mostly. And and so that's a real credit to him. But I, I mean, Rudy Giuliani's signature thing was, was, was crime and law and order. Dinkins was going to be a, a more dignified and decent City and 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 uh, um, and 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 then to catch and and would it become sort of a, a confrontational, racially fraud and uh, corrupt era of democratic government? Koch uh, Koch's big thing was his personality. Bloomberg, in hindsight, wants to you know say I, I transformed these areas of the city and I did these trains and I did this tunnel and these things are not untrue, but this was never what he ran for office on or any of that like adams absolutely needs to get stuff done and he needs to be a competent meat and potatoes guy and he's had a lot of trouble getting out of his own way i think he's been so concerned about being a one-term mayor that he sometimes pushed himself farther in that direction it's hard to do it's hard not to i i understand that but like this speech seemed like a really good course correction housing is the thing where he could be transformative, where the political calculus has shifted and there's cracks in what had been, you know, the, the foundation wall. And he's trying to break through those and so new things can emerge. Uh, I, I'll stop mixing that metaphor, but <laughs> it is telling in a good way that, that he knows this and he put this in the middle of the speech and he didn't put all, all his whole political bet there. He knows that a lot of this comes down to what happens in Albany this year. And last year was going to be the housing year in Albany too, right? And they did nothing. So presumably they can't do nothing again, but never underestimate Albany guys. Um, so so him focusing on, I want to show New York and New Yorkers that I'm delivering, uh, that I'm making this a place where the quality of life, sorry, Ben, for the phrase, you know, is, yeah. is, is good and improving. And housing is getting filled. People have places to live. There's, you know, in this very crowded place, just a little more economic, at least breathing room. If he can accomplish all that, you know, he will, he, he will, with, with FBI aside, you know, he will 
and show that he has convincingly win a second term and he'll be remembered as a transformative mayor and this is a very ambitious man who is a native son of this city who this is in many ways his dream job although like all the mayors you know you sort of think what what's going to be next um and and it's good to see him rhetorically reset and recalibrate to try to get things done he, he had a phrase he repeated four times in a row in this uh in this speech stay focused no distractions and grind he's been very distracted he has not always stayed focused let me be blunt and then he's whined about the media there and not always wrongly but you know it, it's unbecoming of, of the mayor to do that it's still your play whatever they write um if he really does that for the next two years and he governs in keeping with this tone and he works out how to fill those jobs that haven't been what uh, decisions really need to get made uh, in terms of the budget, where he can compromise, where he can't, and just makes things a little better. I think he is in a, a, a position to sneak up on us as a great and transformative figure. I'm not holding my breath for that, but I'm not dismissing it. And as I said, the speech, you know, made me feel hopeful. Uh, he's our guy right now. And like, I want to see this place prosper. And it's good to see him take like a kind and warm and optimistic tone and talk about some things I think would be really good. Thank you both. This was fun. Appreciate it. Dr. Christina Greer and Harry Siegel co-host the FAQ NYC podcast, among other hats they both wear. Uh, and they co-host that along with Katie Honan, who is reporting on the mayor's speech today and look for her reporting in the news publication, The City. Thank you both again. Talk with you Thanks, soon. Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben.